Oh, good morning, church. What a great day, a great time of worship, a great time of being in the Lord's presence, and so excited about what God's doing in and among us as His people today. Uh, this morning, we come to the conclusion of a really great series called Next Steps, and in this series, God's been calling us to take our next step in our faith journey, to reach out, to grow up, to give all for His name and for His glory, and so I'm so excited about today as we make our commitment to Him, and, and as we've talked about in this series, it, it, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship, that when Jesus was calling His disciples, He said, come, follow me. Come on a journey with me, you know, and every day that we're knowing God, that we're falling more in love with Him, we're hearing His heartbeat, and we're walking with the God of all creation through His Son, Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful, beautiful love story, and that what joy that we get to be a part of what God and God alone is doing. Now, in our series, we're tracking with the children of Israel back, you know, in the Old Testament, and we're seeing how their story unfolded as the people of God back then. And we're seeing how it translates to us today. And we see if you go all the way back to the beginning, right? God created man, God created Adam and Eve, and God created them for relationship with God. And yet, what did they do? They sinned, right? They blew it, like we do so many times. But praise God that he didn't give up on them. Praise God that he set into motion a plan to redeem mankind, a plan to send the Savior, the Messiah, for us, redemption and hope and grace. He calls a man, Genesis 12, named Abram. He said, Abram, leave your country and your people and go on this journey with me. Abram, come on. Come be a part of what I'm doing. Abram, take a next step in your faith journey and walk with me. And I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will bless you in an amazing way as you follow. And so Abraham said, sure, I'll do it. And he comes down and he's living in the promised land. It's awesome. It's amazing. God blesses him with a son, Isaac. And then in this incredible moment of faith, Abraham brings his son Isaac and he places him on the altar. This altar that they built, and basically Abraham said, God, you're more important to me than anything in the world. Than my son, than a promise, than a dream, than anything else. God, you are more important to me. And so, Father, even here's my son. And God said, he's your son. You take him and you raise him and I will bless him and I will multiply him and your descendants will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and this incredible promise that we see unfold through scripture. And they come into the promised land and God gives them houses they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant. Just like God's done to us so many ways. God's blessed us beyond our wildest imagination. And then... There was a king named David, and David was known as a man after God's heart. David loved the Lord. He was so passionate about God, and he's the king over the people, and the people have grown. They've multiplied, and they've been successful, and David one day looks out and says, why am I living in a palace when the house of God is in a tent? They still have the tabernacle, right? He's like, we need to build something in the center of our community that everybody knows that God is central to us, that God is first and foremost it was David's son Solomon who built the temple, the first temple in 957 BC. And he built it over the same altar where Abraham had come and offered his son Isaac. And they built this huge temple right there in the center of Jerusalem to say to everybody, God is the Lord of our community. God is the Lord of our lives. He is number one. And that temple was an important place where everybody came and they worshipped. But what so easily happened to the people back then so easily happens to us. And they took their eyes off God. And they started looking at the things of the world and it became about money. It became about power. It became about bigger houses and more vineyards and more, 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 more. 
And so God said, oh, please, you're my people, and I have too big of a plan for you. I have too giant of a purpose for you, and that's going to be, the Messiah is going to come from you. And so God said, I've got to get your attention, and he sent them off into exile. They were conquered by the Babylonians. If you know world history, the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar was the king, and in 586 B.C., he comes into Jerusalem, and he destroys the temple. He takes the people off. They're living in exile, as we've been seeing in our study. But then God raises up a man named Cyrus. And Cyrus, the king of Persia, comes in, conquers the Babylonians, the Persian Empire. You may have heard of the laws and the Medes and the Persians. And, and the Persians conquer them. And in the first year, Cyrus issues this proclamation. Jews, you can go home. That never happened, right? When you were conquered, you were done as a nation, game over. And he says, you can go back. And you can go back and rebuild the temple. You can go back and worship the one true God. And so we saw as 50,000 people left under the leadership of a guy named Zerubbabel and they came back to Jerusalem and there in the center of their community, they laid the foundation for the temple. And this begins second temple period, 516 BC, they complete the temple 70 years after it was destroyed, 70 years after being off into exile, and they come back and they say, God, we want to learn. We want to learn from our mistakes. We want you to be first in our lives. We want you to be the center of our hearts. And they built and they worshipped and they celebrated the Passover, the first time the Passover had been celebrated in Jerusalem for over 85 years. And they celebrated the Passover together, this tremendous time of worship and celebration as they took their next steps. And as God calls us to take our next steps. You see, their story is a lot like ours, isn't it? We were dead in our sins and our transgressions. We were off. We were slaves to sin. We had no hope. We had no help. But it was by the grace of God, as he sent his son Jesus, who died on the cross, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The free gift, and God has brought us out of bondage to sin. And God has given us new life. He's given us hope. And now God calls all of us to take a next step. To follow as his disciples. And to watch God do what only God can do. And the stories and the miracles continue to unfold today as we follow and take our next step. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Ezra. Ezra. Ezra, Old Testament, right? Going back there. We're going to just be in Ezra 7 and 8 today as we conclude this series. But it has been such a great series. Uh, maybe you might not have a Bible. Maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures and uh, follow along with us. You can take notes on version as well. Or we'll put the words on the screen. You can follow along with what God's Word has to say. So we're finished up last week in Ezra chapter 6. We're jumping into Ezra chapter 7 today. And I want you to see this, that in between Ezra 6 and Ezra 7, there's about 58 years. So if you're thinking chronologically, the book of Esther would fall between Ezra 6 and Ezra 7. So if you know the book of Esther, it's, it's such a great book, it's such a rich book. Uh, but you see that, that unfolds right here. And then you come to Ezra chapter 7, and you see what God is still doing among his people. It says, after these things... During the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Shariah, the son of Azariah. Now let me stop right there because he kind of keeps going, son of, son of, son of, you know, and he lays out this whole genealogy here. And then you come down to verse 5, and he says, right here, here's who I am. The son of Abusha, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Now the two names I want you to get out of all this lineage is the first, Ezra, because that's 
kind of who we're talking about, focusing on today. The second is Aaron. Aaron, the last name here, Aaron was Moses' brother. If you remember back when uh, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt and God said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go, you know, that whole thing. So he said, and Moses goes, but I, I, I can't speak, I stutter. And he goes, well, that's okay, your brother is a great spokesman, you know, bring him with you. And they go down. And so Aaron becomes the chief priest. And he becomes the head of the, of the priestly line that goes through the tabernacle and through the temple. And so Ezra, what he's saying is here, I've got a great lineage of faith. I've got people in my heritage who have walked with the Lord, who've been close to God. Verse 6, this Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked for. The hand of the Lord his God was on him. I've got to stop there because you see this theme, right? Ezra's always saying, the hand of the Lord my God is on me. Have you thought about that in your life, you know? How God's hand is on you? The very breath that we have in our lungs, that we even got up today, you know? The very reason that God has blessed us, that so many of us, we have a roof over our heads, we have a car to drive, and we look and we think it's about us many times, and we go, wait a minute, no, it's not about us, it's about the hand of God in my life. God has been so gracious to me, and Ezra recognized that, and for us, it's a daily recognition of God's hand being on us. Some of the Israelites, including the priests, the Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. See that? For the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Here's the first thing if you're taking notes today. God invites us to be a part of his story. God invites us to be a part of his story. You see, this Ezra was the one who wrote chapters 1 through 6. This Ezra is the one who wrote First and Second Chronicles. But by the time we get to chapter 7, Ezra's like, you know what, I'm tired of writing about it. I want to be a part of it. I want to live it. I want to step into it. A lot of times we can hear, oh, well, God did this or God did that or great things happened there and then. And at some point we go, I want to be a part. I want to step out. I want to follow. And God's inviting you and God's drawing you and he's inviting all of us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves to be a part of his story, history. You see, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God, right? There's a lot of people who know about God, you know? There's a lot of people who know about God. Now, I can know about Michael Jordan. You know, I can know, you know, how many championships he won and where he played college ball. But there's a difference between knowing about Michael Jordan and knowing Michael Jordan and sitting down and saying, you know, what makes you tick? What's your passions? What's your heartbeat? And the same thing's true with God. A lot of people know about God. You know, you just look around and you're like, okay, this world didn't just happen. I mean, there is obviously a God at work. I mean, my body, I've got a brain that functions. I've got eyes that can focus back there or focus here. I mean, that didn't just happen. There is obviously a greater force out there. There is someone bigger than me. A lot of people know about God. I've heard the stories. I've seen the Bible. I see his handiwork. But how many people really know God? 
How many people really know what makes God's heart beat? What brings joy to God? What even breaks his heart? And that's the relationship that God's inviting you into. It's through Jesus Christ, his son, because God is a holy God. We are sinful man. But it's through Christ who paid the price for us that we can know God. And Ezra said, I'm tired of just writing about it. I want to know. I want to go on the journey myself. I love, as Ezra says, you know, man, I look at my family, I look at my history, and I've had great people. I've had great people who've done great things. But Ezra said, now it's my turn. Now it's my time. Maybe in your life you go, wow, I had a great mom. Or I had a, oh, I had a wonderful granddad. You know, in my heritage, I mean, I've gone back to Ancestry.com, and I've figured out, you know, there, there's some great people in my family, great people in my story. And you know what God says? Yes. You stand on the shoulders of those who've come before you, but this is your turn. And this is your time. You know, every tombstone you see, there's two dates. Right? When you were born and when you die. But the fact is, we're living in the dash. We're living in the dash. And what are people going to say about us? What are, what are people going to say? Man, they were a person of integrity. They were godly. They were a prayer warrior. Man, they loved. They were generous. They were kind. Your story is being written right now. And this is your time. This is your turn. And Ezra got it. He's like, I could live on my past, but, but God's invited me to step into it. God's invited me to brace it. And the gracious hand of God is on you. And God's drawing you to himself. That tells us in verse 6 that Ezra was well-versed in the law of Moses. The law of Moses is the first five books of the Old Testament, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's called the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch. Those are the first five books. And so God is sending Ezra there. Ezra was a scribe. He was writing it all down, right? He wrote it down. They didn't, they didn't have the printing press. They didn't have Bibles where they could go, you know, to church and have your word of God even on your phone. Or they, they didn't have any of that. They had scrolls. And that people wrote it down. And Ezra, as a scribe, was writing all of this down. He was writing down the word of God, but he was also a great teacher, it tells us. And so God's sending him to his people to say, hey, you've rebuilt the temple. That's great. But I want you to stay as a people in my word. I want you to have a great foundation in the word and how I've called you to live. Because last time you got distracted. Last time you took off in a different direction. And I had to draw you back. So this time, just stay grounded in the word of God. Praise God that we don't just have five books. We have 66. But God says to us today, this is how I want you to live. I have a plan for you, and it's a great plan for you. It's an unbelievable plan for you and for your family and for generations. But stick to the word. <laughs> this is how it works. Here at Rolling Hills, man, the word of God is so central to how we live and how we do church and ministry because we know that it's the foundation of our souls as God is drawing us and teaching us and growing us as disciples of Christ. As a part of our next steps, we're, we're challenging everybody to take a daily step. And a daily step means that we're going to read the Bible together for the next 24 months. We're going to read through the entire Bible. And we're going to have a passage each day, like today's daily step, Genesis 1 and Mark 1. Old Testament, New Testament. And, and maybe today you're ready to take that part, that, that, that daily step. 
I hope you are. Because I'm so excited as we as a church read through the entire Bible. There's so few people that have ever read the entire Bible, right? You come to one passage or a different passage, but to read through the entire Word of God. And we're calling it a daily step because I believe every day we're either drawing closer to God, we're stepping toward Him, or every day we're kind of drifting a little bit further away. And so God is saying, take a daily step, make a commitment, read the Word, know the Word, because I love you. And I have a plan and a purpose for you. There's an old Chinese proverb that says this, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. A journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And today, I hope and pray that we're taking a step. A step of faith. A step closer to God. A step to know Him and to know His heart. Oswald Chambers, Oswald Chambers said this quote. He said, We are uncertain of the next step, but we are certain of God. As soon as we abandon ourselves to God and do the task he has placed closest to us, he begins to fill our lives with surprises. Isn't that great? As soon as we abandon ourselves and our own petty dreams and our own petty wants, and we, we, we just abandon ourselves to God and say, God, my life is yours, he begins to fill our lives with surprises. It's like every day you wake up and you go, okay, God, what are you going to do today? You know, <laughs> God, I'm yours, and I'm going on this journey, and I'm following you. Do you think Ezra had any idea... When he was walking out of Babylon, that God was going to use his story 2,500 years later? No way. He was just being obedient. He was taking his next step of faith. And God was moving and God was blessing. Here's the second thing that I want you to see today. Is our obedience or disobedience to God has a great impact on others. If you keep going in chapter 7, the king, King Artaxerxes, gives a letter to Ezra. And he says, take this letter, take it back. And, and it was a letter of blessing. It was a letter that encouraged the people to, hey, keep doing the work. This is a good thing. And here's what Ezra writes in verse 27. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put it into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way, and who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his advisors and all the king's powerful officials. Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me. <laughs> I love that. Every time he comes back to that, right? Because of the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. You know? He recognized that all glory to God. Glory to God. God is doing this. God is orchestrating these events in my life. And he says, I took courage and invited the leading men to go with me. See, Ezra realized that he could reach out and Ezra reached out to the people around him and said, let's go be a part of the story. Let's go live for the glory of God. Let's go make a difference in our day and our generation. See, Ezra was a person of influence. And so are you. So are you. You know, the people in this room, I mean, you're a person of influence. In this room, there are teachers. There are doctors. There's lawyers. There's business executives. There's community leaders. There's stay-at-home moms, there's students. And every one of you, every one of us, is a person of influence. And so we ask ourselves, how are we using the influence that God's given us? How do we use that? Do we use the influence for our own personal gain or for our own personal glory? Are we using influence to lead people to God? Are we using the influence God has placed in our hands to bring glory back to Him? To say, come on, come be a part of something bigger than yourself. Are we inviting people to join the story? God's redemptive story in this world. But every one of us, 
You know, the Bible says the sins of the father are passed on. The sins of the father are passed on to the children and generations. And we see that, don't we? There's sometimes there's people that you know and, and you watch and you're just like, no, 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 don't do it. I know you think it's just a little affair and it's no big deal and it's just sex, but listen, 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 it has huge implications. Don't, 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 please, please. We can see it. And the Bible's true. But you know what? It's not just the disobedience that impacts, it's the obedience that impacts. And you can also look at people and you can look at families and you can look at generations of people who've been obedient, who have followed God, who have sought the Lord. And you can look at their kids or others and you just go, wow, unbelievable. And we are so grateful for people who've stood up and stood out for the glory of God. If you keep going in chapter 8, in chapter 8, 1 through 14, it talks about the heads of the families who came back. The heads of the families who, who joined with Ezra. And this is the second remnant to return. The first remnant under Zerubbabel. The second is under Ezra. Then we'll see a third that's under Nehemiah that comes back to rebuild the walls. But you look in chapter, verses 1 through 14, and it talks about heads of family, heads of family. And if you're a head of a family, if, if you're a husband or a father or a single parent or you're a grandparent or, or you want to be the head of a family one day, listen, that's a calling God's placed on your life. You have a huge responsibility. And your obedience will impact generations. And what will people say about you? About how you lived? About how you served? About what was important to you? About where you invested. About how you prayed. Do you know the temple that they built there in 516 BC? This was the same temple that Herod later on, as the Romans come in and Herod expands the temple. But it was the same temple where Jesus was dedicated. It's the same temple that Jesus worshipped. It's the same temple that Pentecost took place. 600 years. God used this place. And I believe that's what God wants to do through us. Six months ago, we took a biblical study tour. We were in Israel. So we took a biblical study tour from our church, and we went to Israel. And, and while we were there, we were thinking about this day. We were thinking about what God was going to do on this day, what he's doing right here, right now. And so I just want you to see some footage as we stood on the Mount of Olives, and we looked over at the Temple Mount back then. Standing here on the Mount of Olives, and behind me you can see the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount was built by Solomon, and he wanted to bring his best to God, and so he built this massive temple. Uh, then King Herod came along, and for the Jews, it was such an important place to come and to worship and to learn and to grow. And so the temple expanded about 37 acres. It, it's huge, it's enormous. You can see the southern steps are being excavated today, and these were the steps that Jesus walked up. These were the steps where Peter stood up and preached at Pentecost, and 3,000 people accepted Christ and believed. And, and all throughout history, people have wanted to bring their best. People have wanted to have a, a, a temple or a synagogue or a place of worship, a church, uh, to have a place where they can come and study the scriptures, where people can learn and grow, where, where subsequent generations, their children, their children's children, can be raised up in the Lord. And at Rolling Hills, we have that incredible opportunity. The opportunity to bring our best, the opportunity to, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, to join a movement of God in the world, and, and to build something that's going to impact people we don't even know yet. Yes, it'll impact our children, our children's children, 
Uh, but to be able to build something that's going to lead people to Jesus, to be able to share the gospel, a place where we learn and we grow in our own spiritual walk and journey, a place where we have the opportunity to sacrifice and to serve, where we learn to be the followers of Christ that God created us to be. And yes, we talk about preschool because it's so important and God has blessed us with so many children. And yes, we talk about students because it's such a crucial time in their life and they need space to learn and to grow and find community. And yes, we talk about a permanent place in South Nashville and we're meeting at a school right now. But what really is important is it's a matter of our heart. And it's a matter of joining with disciples through the generations, of giving our best of coming and saying, God, you are so important to me, and I can get caught up in the materialism of this world, but Father, you are my God, and I want to bring my best and give it back to you. And what God will do with it is immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. And what God will do with it will impact generations. And what God will do with it, someday, there'll be people that are excavating and finding a warehouse and a building, and they're saying, these people were serious about their relationship with God. And wow, what a testimony we have the opportunity to give. A testimony of faith, a testimony of love, and a testimony of the generations. Wow. See, Jesus said to his disciples, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I've got a purpose for you and it's to impact other people. It's to invite other people to be a part of my redemptive story. And it's not just our family. It's, it's the poorest of the poor around the world. And whether it's in the Amazon or in Moldova or South Africa or New Orleans or Kentucky or all these places that God's called us. It's people right here in our own community. It's people in your workplace. It's people in your neighborhood. And God says, step out. Reach out for my name and for my glory. As a part of our next steps, we're asking everybody to, to reach out over the next 24 months. If you would give 2% of your time, you know, uh, 14 days over the next two years to somehow be involved with something where you serve, where you give, where you impact others. Yesterday, we had a tremendous day here. We packed over 100,000 food bags to send to, to starving children around the world. It's called Feed My Starving Children. The gallery was full of people. We were up here serving and working together. I just thought, this is awesome. This is church. This is amazing. And what God is doing, and people are being influenced what about you? Will you take a next step there? Maybe you've never been on a mission trip, you know? Maybe you've never done a, a path project or a Saturday serve. Maybe you've never walked across the street to a neighbor to say, hey, is there any way I can help or pray for you? As maybe you've never talked to even a coworker. But what steps can you take? What steps can you take in your own life? Last uh, Friday night, a week ago, we had the daddy-daughter ball. And I love the daddy-daughter ball. It was awesome. And so many dads were here and their little girls all dressed. They just look so pretty. And it was a blast. Well, there's a lady in our church who several months ago, she was, she was driving and she stopped at the street corner and, uh, and she bought a contributor, you know, and there was a guy selling it. And God just prompted her heart and said, you know, talk to him. And so she's sitting there on the street corner and she begins to engage and she said, well, are you hungry? Can I buy you, can I buy you, can I buy you lunch? And he said, yeah, I'm really hungry. And so she bought the contributor, but then she took him to lunch, and they went and they sat down, and she's having lunch with him. And she starts to hear a story, and here's the guy who's homeless. He's got a six-year-old daughter who lives up in Clarksville, and he's living here trying to find a job. And as she bought him a meal, and she thought and she prayed, she said, you know, I've got to help. I've got to do something. And, and so she worked. She used her sphere of influence, and she helped get him a job up in Clarksville. And so now he's got this job up there, but, but she kept thinking about him and, and thinking about his daughter. 
And so she talked to two of our core team leaders over at South Nashville, this husband and wife, and she said, what if we bought them tickets and we, and we invited them to come to the Daddy-Daughter Ball? The lady in our church said, I'll drive to Clarksville and I'll get them, and I'll drive them here. And the other couple at our church at South Nashville, they said, hey, you know what? We'll buy the tickets. And, and the lady... Her father had passed away a year ago, and she said, I have this suit that was my dad's, and, and I'll give him the suit, and we'll go buy a dress for this little six-year-old girl. And so last Friday night, this woman in our church drove to Clarksville, and she picked up the dad and the daughter to bring them to the ball. And she wrote this about that night. She said that um, after they got here, and, and they were late because he had to work, he got off late, and they got here, and, and so they were getting ready to leave, and the dad was apologizing to the little six-year-old girl and said, I'm so sorry that I missed so much of the ball because uh, we had to work in Clarksville and it was so far away. And the little girl said in a sweet voice, that's okay, Daddy. I got to be with you all night. Even in the car and even though Clarksville is a thousand miles from here. <laughs> it's where I live and now you do too. So now we will have lots more time together and we can go to the whole ball next time. As they were preparing to leave, the dad said, well, I'm going to change back into my sweatshirt and my, and my pants because this borrowed suit is a little snug. And before he could even ask his daughter, the little girl looked up and said, Daddy, can I sleep in my dress? Because it's my very first dress ever. And I always wanted one. And I believed you when you danced with me tonight and you said that I was beautiful. Please, can I sleep in my dress? And the lady from our church just write, God's mission accomplished. <laughs> just thought, wow. You see, church, when God prompts your heart, prompts my heart, will we reach out? And so many times we're busy, we have so many things going on, but there's a world that's in need, and there's a world that's just looking for some help and hope. And God has given you influence, and God's given me influence. How do we use that for his name and for his glory as we live in this dash? The third thing I want you to see is this, that God calls us to give our all to him. God calls us to give our all to him. If you'll turn with me over to chapter 8, look at verse 21. It says, there by the Ahava Canal, I. <laughs> I love that, right? You can see Ezra's going from writing about them and what they had done to now I. I'm in it. I'm a part of it. I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. So they're gathered there in Babylon. They're getting ready to make their way over to Jerusalem, 900 miles. It's a four-month journey. And he proclaims this fast. And he says, you know, I brought everybody together and we started to pray. Verse 22, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from our enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. Ezra said, I had to put my faith where my mouth was. If I said God was with me, I was going to have to live it out and believe it. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. I love that. Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests together with Shabiah and Hashabai and 10 of their brothers and I weighed out to them the offerings of silver and gold and the articles that the king, his advisors, his officials and all Israel present there had donated for the house of our God. I weighed out to them the 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold valued at 1,000 derricks 
and two fine articles of polished bronze as precious gold. Guys, this is worth, in today's dollars, millions. The people all gathered together. They pulled their resources. They said, we're going to worship. We're going to give back. And I said to them, you as well as these articles are consecrated to the Lord. It's not just the gifts that you give. It's you. It's your life that's being consecrated. The silver and gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them carefully until you weigh them out in the chamber of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem before the leading priest and the Levites and the family heads of Israel. Then the priests and the Levites received the silver and gold and the sacred articles that had been weighed out to be taken to the house of God in Jerusalem. On the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the Hava Canal to go to Jerusalem. We took our next step, our step of faith. And the hand of our God was on us, right? And he protected us from our enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested three days. On the fourth day in the house of our God, we weighed out the silver, the gold, and the sacred articles into the hands of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the priest. Eleazar, son of Phinehas, was with him. And so were the Levites, Josbad, son of Yeshua, and Nobiah, son of Benai. Everything was accounted for by number of weight, and the entire weight was recorded at that time. Then the exiles who had returned from captivity sacrificed burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven male lambs, and as a sin offering, twelve male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's orders to the royal satraps and to the governors of the trans-Euphrates, who then gave assistance to the people and to the house of God. Wow. Can you imagine their joy? Can you imagine as they come out of captivity, out of this land of slavery, and they're making this journey in four months, and they're preparing their hearts, and they come to this moment of seeing the temple built, and they're looking up into Jerusalem, and I just meant, yes! I mean, I just think they're so fired up. God has delivered us. God has brought us out. God has done immeasurably more. And they came to the temple, and they worshipped. See, worship is our response back to God for who he is and for what he's done in our lives. That's what worship is. It's just our responding back. God, thank you. Everything I have is from you, God. Every good and perfect gift. And they worshiped. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, my dear brothers, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship, that we come and we give back to God. And we give him all the glory in our lives. It says in verse 35, right, that they sacrificed. They sacrificed. They pulled their resources together. See, it, it's not equal gifts. It's equal sacrifice. There were people that God brought before who had built the temple. But God was bringing new people to lock arms together, to go on the journey together. But it was equal sacrifice, all investing for the glory of God. So many times we live life like this, don't we? We try to hold on to everything and we have tight fists and we have the tension in our shoulders at our neck because we're holding on to everything. And God's inviting us, live like, live like this. Put it in my hands. Trust me. Feel the tension go out of your shoulders and out of your life as you recognize that the gracious hand of God is upon you. And God's inviting you to take your next step. God's inviting you to follow. God's inviting you to trust. Inside your worship guide today, there is a commitment card. 
And I want to ask everybody to pull that out just for a minute. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you've already filled out your commitment card. Praise God. That's great. That's exciting. But this card, we're asking everybody to take a next step. There's a pin around you if you're ready to take a next step together with God's church. You can put your name here, your address, your email. And then reaching out. What's your next step to reach out? Because the people back then, they did all three, right? They reached out. They invited other people to be a part of the journey. They grew up. They, they dove into the Word of God. They reordered their lives around God's Word. And they gave all. But what about you? Reaching out. What does that look like for you? Maybe today you'll say... In the next 24 months, I'm going to go on a mission trip. In the next 24 months, I'm going to sponsor a, a child in the orphanage. Maybe in the next 24 months, I'm going to help out at the PATH Project or Saturday Serve or somehow that I'm going, to, I'm going to be a part of something bigger than me. I'm going to invest in other people. What about growing up? Maybe today you're saying, I'm going to say yes to the invitation of Jesus to come follow. You know? I've known about God for a long time, but today I want to know Him. Today I want to trust Him. Maybe for you, and I hope everybody will, we'll take that next one. Reading the Bible each day, taking a daily step. And as we all read God's Word together, you can get it on your phone. You know, we'll have journals. If you need a Bible, we have free Bibles for you today. If you go outside into the gallery area, there's a kiosk. We will give you a Bible. There's also journals. They're, they're $5, but there's a journal for you to write down what God's teaching you. We want everybody. You know how few people have read the Word? We want everybody reading and growing in God's Word. And maybe for you, it's, it's following Christ in baptism. I was at Chick-fil-A yesterday, and, and a guy said, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jeff, he said, I can't wait for tomorrow. I'm taking my next step, and my next step is to be baptized. I was like, yeah, way to go, you know. So we were so excited. Or maybe for you, it's, it's hey, to be a partner at Rolling Hills. Maybe you've been coming for a while, and it's time to join and lock arms together or be a part of a small group. What is that for you? And then giving all. And maybe for you, it's, it's tithing. You know, you just never trusted God with your finances. And when God asks to give your first 10% back to God, that's tithing. You know, that's Christianity 101. That's the basics. But maybe you've never done that. But today you say, you know what? I'm going to trust God over the next 24 months. I'm going to tithe. And maybe for you, it's a one-time gift or a 24-month pledge. Now, Lisa and I have been praying about our commitment for a while. And we're, we're ready. You know, we're, we're, we're excited about what God's doing. We can't wait to invest together. And so if you're ready today, you can write this commitment on here. You can tear off this edge, right? And so you can keep it with you to remember your commitment. And then place this in the envelope that's in there. And in just a moment, we're going to invite you to come. We're going to invite you, individually, personally, to come. To come to the altar. Uh, you know, an altar is something special. And this altar was built just for this. It's been out in the gallery. Many of you have put rocks in there as you've prayed about your commitment. And an altar is something special. Many of you, you may have received Christ at an altar. Maybe you made a commitment to a spouse at an altar. But today, we're, we're taking a step, and we're coming to the altar. And we're saying, God, I want to follow. I want to be a part of your story. I don't want to just read about it. I want to be a part. I want to live it. I want to trust you. I want to follow you. And so I'm going to invite you to come around the outside and to come to this altar here and then to go back to your seats through the center part. This is a time of worship. I mean, you think about the gravity of what's happening here as people are taking their next steps. You think about the impact it's going to have on preschool children, students. You think about the impact it's going to have on families. You think about the impact it's going to have on generations. So our worship team is going to come and lead us in a time 
I hope you can feel the weight of us taking our next step for the next 24 months, what God's going to do in your life and in our lives together. I want to pray for us. And then, as God leads you, if you feel called, you respond and come to the altar. Place your gift on the altar and just say, God, I'm going to follow. I'm your disciple. This is my time. This is my opportunity. And I'm going to live it out. Father God, here we are, your people. And we've gathered in this place, God, to say you are number one in our lives. And Father, we come. We come today to respond to you. It's a time of worship. A time that we say, God, that you are our God. And we love you. And we commit our lives to follow. And not, not equal gifts, but God, today, equal sacrifice. And Father, I pray for all the people who will be impacted, many that we'll never meet this side of heaven. But one day we'll hear people say, thank you for taking your step of faith. Thank you for being obedient because my life was impacted in Moldova or in the Amazon or in South Africa or right here in our own community. And so God, bless, move, challenge us, change us. Father, and draw us close to your heart as you call us today to take our next step. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and we come to your altar right now. Amen. Amen.